Turn, turn on over to uh, Acts chapter 20, uh, where we started last week. And uh, if you remember, we kind of went all the way around the barn and the property to come back into the, court, the, uh, the corral there um, and saw uh, this book of Acts that, you know, basically encompasses the entire uh, New Testament as a canvas, and, and most of it happens on the canvas of the book of Acts. Um, we looked at uh, and talked about the fact that things like the Church of Philippi, you see uh, how it was started there with the Philippian jailer and, and Lydia, the seller of purple, and so on. And, and then later, uh, the letter to that church that was born out of them, the Philippians, and so forth. And in all those books, you can find in the book of Acts, their inception and so forth. But we also talked about the fact that during that time, uh, we see this transition which the book of Acts is a uh, transitional book, and uh, it takes us from um, basically uh, your New Test, your I'm sorry, your uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, uh, and takes us from the Jews and, and, uh, and Christ, of course, coming and living. But then we see Peter and, and, and the Jews and all this emphasis, and then we see uh, Paul, uh, who at that time was known as Saul, gets saved, and we see this gradual change by the end of the book, to Saul and the church. And uh, the reason for that is because the nation of Israel was, was offered that thing that was promised them, the branch, the root of Jesse, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and they rejected him. They rejected him three times, as a matter of fact. And uh, so when that happened, then the Lord shifted gears, uh, as he knew he would have to do because of foreknowledge, not because, well, that didn't work out. Okay, that's not how that works with God. Because of foreknowledge, he knew it was happening. He made that provision ahead of time, just like in your life and my life. When we get surprised with things, whether it's medical or, or you know, uh, for some folks are freaking out over the election, um, whatever it is, remember, none of that is a surprise to the Lord, okay? There's foreknowledge. He's known about it. He's always made the provision for it, including, and most especially, the provision for my sin and your sin before we were ever born, Okay? 2,000 years ago. Amen? And I didn't just say that so I could take a drink. But <laughs> but it worked. But because to me, and just, just to me, to Christians, I would hope for you too, that is the biggest thing in the world. Because without that, we're not here. There's no reason for us to be meeting here tonight or, or, or living uh, a Christian life as it were. Uh, because we wouldn't have that hope, that sure hope, because of Christ's sacrifice. Now, that's not the biggest thing on God's calendar, I don't think, uh, the day that he had to turn his back on his son on the cross. I don't think that was the biggest day for him, but it was a big one. It was a huge one. And uh, thank God that, that God was willing to do that for you and me. And that just blows my mind every time I think about it seriously and put real thought into it. And I think it's something we should always do because we get cavalier. It's an old word, I know, but it's the only one I can think of that really works. We get very um, cavalier or kind of take things for granted. We're just kind of rolling along, you know, in our Christian life. And uh, I think it's good to remember daily what he did and what that meant uh, and, and understand that, hey, without that, I got no reason to roll out of bed in the morning, you know, with the Lord, you know. Talk to him and then roll out and, and, and go. Praise the Lord. So here we are in the book of Acts. 
And if you remember, we, we centered here on, on chapter 20 because during this entire transition, the one thing that is constant is the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, uh, even though we see a swing to um, uh, Paul and the Gentiles, there's still Jews throughout that time, uh, although now they're getting saved and becoming a part of the church, okay? And what's interesting here is we see here in Acts chapter 20 this, this one little time, this little encapsulation in the middle of it, okay, where all of a sudden Paul calls, uh, he's in Melita, if I remember right, if you look at Acts chapter 20 and verse uh, 17, I believe, yes, at the paragraph marker, and he says, and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church, okay? And then he talks to them about the fact that, hey, from the time I first came into Asia and, uh, until now, you know how I have been before you, how, what I have done. And he addresses the church and only the church specifically. And it's a unique place in the book of Acts. And uh, we, we <laughs> looked at uh, what kind of preceded that, a little bit of what comes after, uh, because, again, this is kind of an overview book of the entire New Testament. But here's this little spot that's kind of hollowed out, is kind of singled out for us to take a look at. And uh, pick it up in verse 18, if you would now. It says, And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me, by the lying and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, now, and then period, because by the way, if you notice from verse 18 on, that's a continuous thing if you look at the punctuation, okay? And he stops there. Now he goes on. But I wanted to call that portion to your attention, and we looked at it, and, and we looked at verses 19, 20, and 21. And we spent a little time there on verse 19 last week, in particular, uh, talking about where he said, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lion and weight of the Jews. And, and we saw how those four things that are mentioned there have a lot to do with what we think of and what we call and what the Bible refers to as what? You may remember? What? Say it louder. Worship. That's right. Worship. Worship. That serving that, that comes from the heart with humility of mind. Why? Because the Bible tells us as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. What you and I put in our minds, that affects or infects. Taking notes, write that down and remember that. It, it, the what you put in your mind will either infect you or it will affect you for the Lord Jesus Christ, which is why it's important what you allow in your mind. That's why in Philippians chapter 2, he says, let this mind, speaking of the word of God, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the mind I need, not the mind I have. Now, some of you are like super smart, Okay. I had a guy in, in my church, a young man, who was extremely smart, you know, one of those high IQ guys, and uh, he had a heart for the Lord. But you know what I, I had to remind him and, and caution him on? 
was the biggest thing that's going to really be a problem for you is that mind. Because we get to thinking we're so smart sometimes, because we are. Some people are, not me. But I like to say that because, hey, I, I could be a smart guy too. You know, we get doing things that are smart, doing things that are good, and we start thinking that, hey, I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty, no wonder the Lord wants to use me, right? Because I'm a smart guy. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm glad that, that God has you know, chosen to use me because I'm so good and so smart. And now I have more in common when I'm thinking like that with, with my old father, the devil, instead of my new father, Lord Jesus, or God the Father. Because I'm, it's all about I. See how many times I said I in there? And we don't always think that up here, right? But in the back of our minds, we're thinking like that, right? We're acting like that. Because we never, now maybe I'm the only one that does this, but you know, you have a, a thought that comes into your mind or a thought process, and you know it's not right. And you don't really, you kind of like that thought process or that thought or that thinking. And so to, instead of actually dealing with it, we kind of push it to the back of our mind as if it didn't really happen. Because you know it happens like that, right? Well, I'll just push that back and ignore it, and I'll just keep on going. Maybe I'm the only one that does that. But when that happens, it's kind of like last week when we talked about, you know, trying to keep adding in to the mind we have, the mind of Christ, without getting rid of the old mind. What, what's that do? What's that make us? Anybody remember? You got the old mind and now God's mind. What is it? Double-minded. That's what the Bible talks about. When the Bible talks about a double-minded man who's unstable in all his ways, he's talking to the children of God. He's not talking to lost people, man. They're single-minded. They're lost. They have a lost mind, a fleshly mind. They cannot discern the things of the Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit of God inside of them to teach them and to guide them. The only thing that a, that a lost man needs to know, he doesn't need to know uh, about different dispensations, although you should and I should. He doesn't need to know uh, about, um, you know, the deity of Christ. Uh, but you and I should know so that we can answer the question, number one, for our faith and our relationship with him, but number two, so we can answer with it. The only thing that a lost person can truly understand and needs to know is their lost state and what God, the Lord Jesus Christ, did for them in the death, burial, and resurrection. Because nothing else matters. Nothing. I used to uh, work with a lot of folks who were gay, and they would come to me. Some of you have heard me talk about this in the past, and they would say, Mark, I, you know, it was always kind of like Nicodemus, you know, who came to the Lord by night because he didn't want the other Pharisees to see that he was talking to the Lord, okay, one-on-one. Okay, you say he's a coward. All right. Maybe he's just being wise, okay? Maybe. I don't know. I can't see his heart. I don't know. But they would come to me when nobody else was around. You know what they'd ask me? Every single one of them would ask me the same thing. Mark, why are you my friend? Why are you friendly to me? Why wouldn't I be? I'm like, well, because you're a Christian and I'm gay, you know. And I said, well, why would that mean I'm not your friend, you know, that I'm not going to talk to you? 
Well, you know, the whole thing, you know, you're, you're a Christian, you know, a lot of knew I was a pastor, you know, you're a pastor, you know, all this, I'm gay, you know, I'm going to hell because I'm gay and all that. I said, whoa, whoa, stop. You're not going to hell because you're gay. And without exception, they'd be like, what? You go to hell because you're gay. You go to hell because you don't accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You know, there's going to be a whole lot of straight people in hell. There's people don't go all of a sudden. Okay, I'm not gay anymore. I, I, I'm straight now. Well, doesn't mean you're going to heaven. And they would be blown away. They're like, I have never heard anybody say that before. I've always been told my whole life that I'm going to hell because I'm gay. Well, that's not true. It's not why you go to hell. No, we are we are all headed there, unless we take the provision made for us by the Lord Jesus Christ because of our sin condition, our sin nature that we all have. So, so and I'll be like, so is, is that okay then? No, the Bible says it's wrong. The Bible also tells me it's wrong for me to lie, to cheat, to steal, to do all these other things too. Okay. I said, now that's between you and God. That's not between you and me. I've just, I've never had Christian friends. I'm, you know, if I'm gay, I'm going to hell, you know, that kind of thing. I said, well, you know one of the names of Jesus? Because he has more than just one name. He does? I said, oh, yeah. The Messiah. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, Dad. And, and believe it or not, a lot of these folks come from Christian backgrounds, so they're familiar with some of this. I said, but you know what another title he had? Was Jesus, friend of sinners. Now, how could I be what I'm supposed to be? And I only answer for me, okay? If I'm not trying, how can I say I'm a Christian, which means I'm a small Christ, Christ-like, if I'm not a friend of sinners also? You know why? They said, why? Because you're a Christian? I said, no, because I'm a sinner too. The only difference between you and me is I'm a saved sinner on my way to heaven because of what Christ did and my acceptance of the gift he's, he's given for all of us. And you're a lost sinner on your way to hell because you have not accepted that. You've rejected that. And they, I, I've never heard this before. So be careful about your own prejudices. Okay? Be careful about your own, you know, this is right and this is wrong. Is that wrong? Absolutely. The Bible's very, very, very clear on that. I know we got some brothers and sisters out there in Christianity who say, well, maybe not. You either need to get a new Bible or you just need to be honest and as some of you were in my How to Say the Bible class, before you try to determine what it means, what do you do? Read what it says. Read what it says. A lot of times, the answer is right there. We read with a prejudiced mind because of our own life experience. Just like them. Well, I've never heard that before. You know, there's a lot of people in this country who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's shame on you and me. So, well, if they don't go to church. Oh, well, wait a minute. What is church? What's a church? Come on, now, you guys know I'm interactive. If you don't, if you don't talk back to me, I'm going to come back and start embarrassing you. Belinda? Say it one more time. The body of Christ. That's right, which is made up of Christians. Okay? You and me, right? How many of you have been through discipleship? I think I asked this before. Raise your hand. Okay. All right. So you would know this already. 
We are the body of Christ, according to the word of God. So if you say, well, they haven't gone to church, well, then shame on you and me again, because we are the church, and we should have been right there in front of them living it. If you live it, they're going to come ask you questions. And again, they'll be like Nicodemus. I don't know how many times when I was a young Christian, I was brash. I was not doing it right. I'll be honest. I admit that. You know, I, but you know what would happen? Then when nobody's looking, nobody's around, they'll come and say, hey, Mark, pray for my mom. She's Or would you pray for a family member or, you know, my marriage? I mean, today that's no big deal. But back when I was growing up, a marriage falling apart was a big deal. And now it's like, oh, I don't like that. You go back to Walmart, exchange it for a new partner. You know, I'm sure they're going to have those pretty soon, you know, available at Walmart and Sam's Club. You know, ridiculous. But they'd be concerned and they'd be like, pray for me. I, I, you know, I don't know what to do. Now, the key to all of that and the reason I'm mentioning these things is, number one, because it's germane to this subject, which is, serving the Lord with humility of mind and with many tears and temptation. And I mentioned this last week, remember? A lot of times the problem with us as Christians and as the church is, you know, well, we're, we, we can't be emotional. We can't be showing a lot of emotion. Really, why not? Why not? Well, you know, women are so emotional. We don't want to be like women. And, you know, as guys, we're supposed to be. Really, because I see where we're... Jesus wept, shortest verse in the Bible, right? I see where you see God and others grieved. You see where there's tons of emotions shown by God, by the Lord Jesus Christ, and by his saints throughout the word of God. And they're good things most of the time. There are some times where it's like, hey, get a hold of this. It's always about what do you do with those emotions. Do you let your flesh run amok with them, or do you run your emotions through the word of God? Because that's where it's got to be. Well, I've got control of my emotions, so I don't have to worry about that. Uh, clearly, you do. If you have control of your emotions, if I have control of my emotions, there's a big problem. Anybody tell me what it is? What? Okay, right? But I just, and, and that's what I just said. I have control of them. I'm not qualified, and neither are you. The Word of God is qualified. Now, sometimes and a lot of us do, we control our emotions or we control our circumstances or we've learned how to do this or that. And, you know, uh, it's all good. I've got it. Well, the problem is I've got it <laughs> instead of the Lord having it. So, well, you know, but if we're going to be men, you know, we have to take charge of something. No, actually, I don't. The only thing I need to take charge of is my submission to the Word of God, what it says. And the way I do that is to, one, read it, because if you don't read it, then how are you going to know? And by the way, that's what preaching is about, part of it anyway, is for you and I to hear things and go, hmm, I didn't know that, or I never thought about it like that. And then go home and read and get in your Bible and get with the Holy Spirit of God in prayer and say, well, you know, Lord, show me what I need to do with that. Not go home and say, boy, that was good. That was really good. Get that thing dusted off till next Sunday or Wednesday night. And never get into it and apply it yourself to your life. 
say, well, you know, but man, my family is a mess. So I'm trying to really work on them. Uh, they don't need you to work on them, okay? They need the Holy Spirit of God to work on them. Now, if I am, like it talks about here, serving the Lord with humility of mind, and I'm lifting them up in prayer with those tears and temptation, I'm tempted to try to fix them and fix the problem. I'm a guy, right? We're fixers, aren't we? In our young marriage, uh, which we, is, we, we haven't been married that long, uh, on the 20th of this month, it'll only be 40 years. So we're still kind of learning. But when we were really tadpoles in the marriage pond, I was trying to fix everything. Because that's my job. I'm the husband. i got to fix these problems. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? How, how many of you that worked out real well for you? <laughs> right? It did not work. Why? Because she doesn't need me to fix her problems. I'm not qualified. She needs the Lord to fix her problems. Well, Mark, that's you, as a, the man of the house, you're supposed to know the Word of God and teach it to her and, and tell her all those things. Oh. Well, see, it tells me that my conversation is supposed to be. That's right, so that you're talking to her. No, no, no. Conversation is not about talking. Conversation is about living. Now, if you and I live before our wives and before everybody else and wives before your husbands and everybody else, whether it's your family, your work, your church family, your neighborhood, where they see the conversation of our life and then they feel safe enough to come ask you about it. But if I'm telling... It's not going to go any better than it does when you're trying to tell your spouse what they need to fix. Right? Does that go well for anybody? I've always been curious. I've never met anybody that really goes well for. <laughs> okay? The key is living, living that relationship with the Lord. And then your spouse, your neighbors, your friends, even your enemies will come to you and say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Can I interview you? Sure. And then you know what the best thing to do is? And this, and this is where, this is the hardest thing in the world for me. Lisa will tell you. Probably be hard for you to believe. But that is, when they ask a question, only answer the question. Don't give them volumes of, background material, you know, and everything else that you're going to need to solve this problem. The best thing is you answer the problem. You answer the question. I'm sorry. Answer the question and then do what the Lord tells me. Mark, shut up. I have a problem with that. <laughs> so you'll see me sometimes. Listen to this. I'll be like this. You know what I'm doing? I'm reminding myself, do not open your mouth. Keep it shut, Mark, because you know what I want to do? Hey, <laughs> let me show you book, chapter, verse. I find out book, chapter, verse, you need to know. But, but notice that that verse, and also my mind just left me, which says, be ready to give, Ron or Jeff, maybe somebody help me out of this. Be ready to give an answer of the hope that is within you. Thank you. I knew, I knew one of you guys up there would know it. So you think those guys are just doing all that stuff up there. Those are the, the guys that are really good up there. Okay. First Peter, what? 315, right? Yeah. 
There's a key word in that verse. It says, be ready to give a what? Answer. An answer necessitates something happens first, right? What's that? Come on. What, what do you have to have before you can have an answer? Question, right? I'm not supposed to be having to question or having all the answers. I'm supposed to be ready to give an answer. And the Lord said, Mark, that means live right with humility of mind, with tears and temptations, fighting those things. But only open your mouth to give an answer when somebody asks. That's hard for me, partly because I'm me, but partly because, at least I'll tell this, yeah, big, tough Marine, yeah, well, maybe once upon a time, not so much anymore, but big old tough Marine has a huge heart, and I have always cared about people, sometimes more than I should, <laughs> okay? Always have, I mean, I remember my pastor of long ago, Lisa, I'll tell you, he would say, <laughs> Mark? Play the crusader. I'm not trying to be the crusader. I know, but you're trying to help. They don't want it yet. Need it. Okay. So I learned when you talk to a deaf man, that's not very wise. That's not very effective, is it? You got to wait till they're asking. And that has to do with what's going on that only God knows in their heart and mind and him working on them. I don't know that. Sometimes I think I know that. I'm even right sometimes about that. But God says, I didn't show you that so that you could play God and lay that out. I showed you that so you could pray about it and pray for them. Open your mouth to me and keep your mouth shut before them until they ask. What if they don't ask? Well, then you won't have to say anything, will you? Okay. I want to. I want to tell people. So, verse 19, and I won't spend a lot more time there. I wanted to make sure and review that because verse 19 is important. If you remember what I talked about is in this passage here, verses 18 down through 21, 18 being that intro there, shows us the things that, that I believe God is showing us through Paul to the church, in other words, to you and I, and that is three things. Because you know God likes to do things in threes. It's the structure of the universe. That's the way he does things. He's a triune God. He made us in his likeness and image, triune, body, soul, spirit, all right? It, all the land, sea, and air. I mean, you can go on and on and on and on, right? If you wonder what I'm talking about, sign up for D2. Get discipled first. But sign up for D2. We'll teach you about those things. Here's the deal, though. Three things. Three things. Worship is the first one. Right there in verse 19. Worship is about serving the Lord with humility of mind. That's where it starts. You can sing, not like me, but like Lisa or Diane or somebody that can sing and just, you know, the angels want to listen, you know. Uh, me, they want to run. Okay, I'm good in a group. They're massive. But I like to sing, right? 
But just because I'm singing with everybody on a Sunday morning does not mean I'm worshiping. It simply means I'm singing. But I shouldn't be singing without worshiping, and neither should you. In fact, can anybody name me one thing, just one, just one thing that you should be doing without worship in your heart? One thing, anything? Oh, so there, you're right, there is nothing. Everything should be done with worship from a heart of worship for him, right? Serving the Lord with humility of mind and with many tears and temptations. If you're going to serve the Lord, you know, over there in Philippians, everybody likes to quote that. Yeah, man, we're going to, we're, we're just, we're just digging and rocking in the whole, uh, the whole uh, the thing about the Lord, just the power of his resurrection. We're just going to go out in the power of his resurrection. What's interesting to me is nobody ever quotes the second part of that verse. You may know what it, what it says. Through the power of his resurrection and something else. Anybody know? Fellowship of his sufferings. Well, we love the power of the resurrection side. Woo! But we don't like that fellowship of suffering side. It's like saying, I want a quarter, but I only want it with, with this on one side. Well, guess what? <laughs> they don't come that way. I have them both. You're going to really worship him if you're really going to minister to people, which, by the way, is our job. You minister to people by glorifying God by your worship of him and how you obey him in every point of your life. And when I don't, then I'm no longer worshiping. And, and we're all guilty of that. That's, you know, again, we're still sinners. We're just on our way to heaven. But until that rapture happens and we get that new body, this one is still going to sin and it's still going to cause a problem. So that's why it's, it's so important to serve with humility of mind. If you start with humility from anywhere else from here, it's not actually going to get here. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. You've got to put these things in here, humility of mind, with tears and temptations. And life does not happen without tears does it does it i have never personally had a baby but i've seen kids born i saw my grandson born um he's in almost all of our children born we were actually in a room with our oldest the first one one of the coolest things i ever saw in my life the one my first one because you know what always comes ladies you know you you don't have a birth without tears, right? Pain, tears. But man, the minute the minute that baby's there, it is joy unspeakable, right? I mean, it just it cannot. There's nothing. That is life. Tears, pain, and temptation. You know, it's, it's not like what the old guy I heard say one time. He says, "You know what? I've learned to master everything in my life except one." So what's that? He said, "Temptation." <laughs> Temptation. Because it all boils down to temptation. Am I tempted to place idols in my life? Am I tempted to do something that I know is a sin? Or, as some of you have heard me talk about in my own life as a young Christian, tempted to go after all the knowledge 
but without the right motive. There's a lot of temptations within Christianity to do it other than the way the Lord says to do it. Like, oh, I'm going to serve him. I am serving him. I will be here today. Humility of mind, though, has to be a part of it. If there's no humility of mind, okay. Glad you're there. Thank you for your service. <laughs> I say that, and, and I don't mean to be this. I always appreciate when somebody says that to me. Oh, hey, Marine, thank you for your service. But uh, I know there's one other Marine in here, a couple other Marines, I'm sorry, in here. And I'm sure it's having you. A lot of times people say that, and you can tell there is absolutely no true feeling in what they just told me. They just found out. They just know I'm a veteran, so I'm supposed to say thank you for your service. So they say thank you for your service. But there's no passion there. They go, that's not real. Sometimes we're like that with the Lord, aren't we? Sometimes we're like that in our service. We're coming in like, well, i got to be here for life issues. Well, i got to be here to take care of the kids. Oh, well, I need to be here with the AV booth. Is that a right motive? Is that a right heart? Anybody want to be on the receiving end of that? No? Okay. Well, then don't come with that. Say, oh, well, I don't do any of those things anyway. Well, then we need to have another discussion. <laughs> because if you're a Christian, okay, doesn't mean you have to do what somebody else does, but, man, you need to be serving somehow, some way. I don't know what that is. Sometimes they're very unique ways. I'm not God. I'm not telling you, you have to do this. But I know one. You can't worship him without serving him. Got to serve. Right? So, that's worship. Look at verse 20. It says, after the colon, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. You know what? Come back to Mark chapter 16. Real quick, I want to show you something that's a little interesting here. Now, if you have a Bible that doesn't have any verses after verse 13, then you need a different Bible, but because not all of them have this. But uh, as you come down here, come down here. Uh, no, that might not be what I was looking for. Let's start at verse 14 there at the paragraph marker in Mark 16. He says, Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. Because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Remember? Peter and John, Matthew saw him and they told him, well, some, some didn't believe their report. Right? Verse 15, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every preacher, every creature and preacher. There's a lot of preachers that need the gospel. <laughs> Don't believe me, ask Steve Fleshman. He'll give you his testimony about how he got saved after he was already preaching the word of God. Come down to verse 19, he says, so then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word was, was signed following. Now, I thought there was a verse there that apparently is not. Um, 
that's on me and I apologize. Look real quick someplace. That's not it either. Well, that's still good advice, but that has to do more with verse 21, what we'll talk about here in a moment. It says in, in verse 20 again, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. Now, that is interesting, and we will go to a spot that I know for sure um, has what we're looking for. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, okay, let me see hands again. How many of you have been discipled? All right. So when I say 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, you, you can tell me that verse, right? I know that's one of your memory verses. Watch this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? Profitable. Profitable. Just like he told him back there, he says, how I kept back nothing that was profitable for you. I gave you everything. In fact, as he goes on, he talks about the fact that he gave them everything God had given to him. He gave them the whole counsel of God. He didn't hold back a thing. He gave it all. That's why he spent his whole life from that point on going out, not only proclaiming the gospel and winning people to Christ, telling them about the, but also then taking those folks who are saved and, as the Bible says, building them up, okay, teaching them the word of God, teaching them how to apply the word of God. You know, you know the number one way they got to see how to apply the word of God was watching him. Because if you notice, everywhere he went, he didn't just preach and teach, but he also worked. He, I mean, he did a lot of stuff. He was with the people constantly, whether it was mending nets or in chains. It didn't matter. He, man, the guy covered it all. And they saw him daily living the things that the Lord told him to teach him. So in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, there it says, all, all scripture is, is uh, I'm sorry, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And, and he gives them four things there, right? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? What, what's, it, what's so big about those things? Well, number one, can you know what God expects of you, who he is, how things work, how that relationship works? Can you do that without doctrine? No, it's impossible. If you don't have doctrine, that's why it's listed first, then, then we don't know who God is and what he expects and what's the relationship supposed to look like and what's going to happen, what, what's going on, why did that, you know? It's all in here. But it starts with doctrine. The truth of those things. For doctrine and for reproof. You know why? And back there in Proverbs, a couple of it tells us, man, only by reproofs of instruction do we learn about life? He says, you know, uh, the way of life is reproof of instruction. You, you, you and I cannot learn without reproofs. Now, reproofs are not like, you did it wrong. That's not a reproof. A reproof is, hey, let me show you a better way. Or, I don't understand what I'm doing. Okay, let, let, me, let me show you how to do that. Okay? 
A lot of times we think a reproof is some kind of big, you know, thing. Stop! You're doing it wrong! I've showed you 20 times how to do that. Guys, that, that's not God, okay? Reproofs. He's, he's giving us reproofs so that we can learn how to do it better, okay? I'm one of those guys, until I hit the hammer on my thumb, I, I don't, even though you've told me 20 times, I'm still like, but you know, it works better if I just hold it right there. And as soon as it happens, I'm like, oh, understanding blooms in my heart <laughs> and mine and thumb, <laughs> right? Reproof. And then once he says, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. This is what's cool. He didn't always correct first. Sometimes I know as a parent, I look back, I'm like, I corrected first and then reproved when I should have reproved first and then corrected. Correction comes a lot easier if the reproof comes first in love. Sometimes firm love, what do they call, what do they call that uh, hard love or tough love? Yeah, tough love. You know, if it's me, I guarantee it was the tough love. That's you know my testimony, I'm just not a smart guy. I have to learn the hard way. I don't have to, but I always made that bad decision. But man, once that reproof comes, now your mind's working. You're thinking, hmm, maybe there is a better way. And then when the correction comes, it's like, oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> okay. And then if I, now I got my heart and mind in the right place, you know, that serving the Lord with humility of mind. Tears. Okay. Now my, my heart and mind are in the right place. He says, for instruction and righteousness. Now that correction, you know, and it's dependent on me. If I resist that reproof and I resist that correction, then the instruction, see that fourth thing, the instruction and in righteousness, well, it might be the woodshed then because of my decision-making and my actions. But if I'm open, I say, okay, now that instruction and in righteousness doesn't have to be in the woodshed. Something I never learned really well <laughs> for a long time. I mean, I finally got it down. Okay, there's a young man, I don't know what, a year or so ago, something like that. You know, I'm sometimes a slow learner. But he's always instructing. That's the cool thing. The Holy Spirit of God is always there instructing, giving that. Why? Verse 17, that the man of God, ladies, that's also you be a reference man as far as mankind, that we would what? What's the verse say? That the man of God would be what? Thoroughly furnished, not thoroughly, thoroughly, look at the word. Thoroughly is from the inside, thoroughly is from the outside. Thoroughly furnished from the inside unto all good works. Oh. Okay. This seems like a much better formula than what I was doing. Okay. What is that? Well, that all has to do with what's back here in Acts 20, verse 20. It says, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Publicly. House to house. In other words, one-on-one, -on -one, in groups, whatever was necessary. 
as a group, and we're all working, we're all doing something. But if you came and said, hey, let me do it, okay, then, how's it? then we'll sit down and talk, and I'll show you. You know what I love about it? And this is something we all need to learn. I learned this um, not right away, of course, <laughs> me being me, but I finally learned it's like, hey, when it comes to learning these things and sharing these things, Man, if I will, instead of comes to me and says, hey, Mark, what should I do about this? Oh, pretty smart, pretty spiritually. They got good discernment, you know? I'm like, well, let me tell you. And I tell them. And maybe what I tell them is actually right from the Bible. Okay. And maybe I don't have that attitude. Maybe I'm like, well, you know, the Bible says blah, blah, blah. And that's good, right? But the best thing is when I sit down with them, house to house, so to speak, at the kitchen table and say, you know what? You ask about this. Let me just show you what the Word of God says. Let me, let me show you what God says. You know what that does? Now, it, it's not a matter or an issue between them and me because you know how it is somebody asks you something you give them the answer and they don't like the answer what's that do to your relationship with that person might be a little strange yeah strange might be a little awkward might be a little mm. but, but when you sit down say hey let me just show you what the word of God says about that and, and by the way I can you can't always do this but the longer you go, the more you probably can, whether it's yourself or somebody. Hey, let me tell you about how that played out in my life. Let me tell you about a friend or somebody I know that how that played out. Because it never did for me. Specifically, maybe. You're going to find out that almost everything in here is going to apply to your life, and you have been through it. Okay? This is a great thing about discipleship, by the way. Now... It's not between me and them. It's between them and God. Well, I don't know about that. That's, it's your choice. I'm just showing you what God said about what you ask. Okay? Now it's not about me. And then sometimes I come back. Well, you said, I'm like, well, time out. Hang on. I didn't tell you. I, I simply showed you what the Word of God says. What you do with it is, is your business between you and God, not you and me. There may be some consequences that go along with that. That's your choice, right? And notice, you know what that's actually called when you do it like that, sitting down at the table? Anybody know? That's what verse 20 is actually about. After worship, discipleship. That's discipleship, Right? How many of you, raise your hand again, that, that have been discipled? Okay. How many of you that happened in your home or your disciples' home around the kitchen table or the couch? Right? A place where there's some safety and you can ask questions and you can talk about things without everybody else, you know, in your business, so to speak discipleship 
What he is talking about right there is flat-out discipleship. He says, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. Now, the Bible tells us what he, what he said, and then the Bible tells us again what profitable is, what that means. It's those four things so that you and I can be thoroughly furnished. Anyone know what Joshua 1.8 says? I'll give you another one. It's not the exact same word, but it's pretty, pretty interesting. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Profitable. Successful. You know that's the only time in your Bible you'll see that word success? Mark it down, underline it, do whatever you want to do there. It's the only time you see that word in that form. Because that's what success is in God's world. Observing to do all that he has told you in his word. Which is what Paul did. He gave them everything that was profitable for them that they could have success in life. And I say life. I say, well, why don't you say ministry? Well, I did. <laughs> I said life. Your life should be about ministry. If you're saved here tonight, your life and my life is supposed to be about ministry. Ministering, number one, to the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, right? That's my first ministry is to him. You know, to obey is better than sacrifice, obeying those things that he has taught, taught me and shown me in the word of God, obeying them. My ministry, because when I do that, what happens? I'm, I'm serving the Lord with humility of mind. Tears, making mistakes and temptations, wanting to do it like this. Nope, I'm going to do it his way. Worshiping him. And you know what? Then people, because we're all people, we all go through some of the same things. We don't all go through the exact same things, but, you know, maybe you go through something, somebody else in, but I have. Well, now, here's somebody I can talk to that understands and can give me some insight, can give me some words of wisdom. Maybe Lisa has some. I'm, I've never been a woman, so, you know, she can talk to a woman or a woman can talk to her. There's, there's something there. That's called discipleship. Now, yes, we have 16 lessons that will take these profitable things in the Word of God so that you can find out, hey, what really happened to me when I got saved? What, what does that even mean? What, what's this thing about baptism? What's the deal with the church? You know, what about money? You know, what, How am I supposed to serve? You know, what's going to happen in the future? Those things are all answered in the Word of God, and that's what discipleship, what we do by putting those together so we can sit down just like that and show you these things that are profitable for us so that you can have good success by observing to do all that is written therein. Amen? Discipleship. Now, if you haven't been discipled, you ought to get discipled. It's how you learn what's going on. Why is the Bible put together the way it is? And why does he say this? And why do they sacrifice animals back here? But 
they're not doing it over here. Get discipled. Learn how the Bible's put together. Learn the things. They're simple things. I, I, I learned them, so you know, they're pretty simple. You know why? Because God is not super hard to understand like people want you to believe. Religion wants you to believe, it'll teach you that it is really hard. I mean, to get where I am, whew, it is tough. To wear these robes, <laughs> whew, it's going to take you a while. You're going to have to go to school. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to have a very pious life. Um, blah, 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 whatever. No. No. All you have to do is have a heart that says, I want to know what God did for me. What this thing about salvation is. And, and what am I supposed to do with it? And what does God think? Now, if you don't have those thoughts, my question is, why are you here? <laughs> Why are you paying attention if you're at home, okay? Because don't we all have those questions? Nod or shake something, yes, no, okay, yeah. And most of you have been discipled, okay? Now, I'm not going to have you put hands up or anything, but if you're not discipled, you need to get discipled. You need to figure out, hey, what's going on, you know? Anybody here ever played any kind of athletics or played kickball or hula hoop or anything like that? Anybody? Am I the only person? I know that's not true. Come on, raise your hands. I know you've done a few things, right? Well, guess what? To do those things, you had to do it with some other folks that showed you how to do that, right? Right? Yeah, there's a few things you, we can figure out on our own. And it's usually with tears because, you know, okay, this whole bicycle thing, you, know, you got to crash a few times before you actually figure it out, right? But if somebody can help you out or mom or dad or older brother or sister can help you and do it, hey, hey, oh, it's about balance. Okay, okay. Fewer spills, fewer bruises, fewer tears, faster learning, faster understanding. And discipleship is simply this, folks. It's not about, oh, well, you must have gone to seminary. No, man, don't go to the cemetery or seminary. Learn the Bible. If, if you don't know the Bible, let me ask you something. How do you know that what Brian is teaching you or me or anybody else is right? Are, are we just blind followers? I hope not. Oh, you're going to be a Christian, you have to have blind faith. No, actually it doesn't say that at all. I'm supposed to dig. There's some stuff in here, some really cool things in here, and there's stuff that he has for me. You know, it's like, man, I really want that. Well, you can have it. All you do is pay the price. And a lot of things you have, especially like children, well, they don't have money. Where do they get it? They get it from mom and dad. They get it from their family. They get it from their relatives and friends. The body of Christ. We're here to give you those things, to disciple you so that you can learn them so that as 2 Timothy Chapter 2 says, I can, you can go and do the same thing. The faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You know what else it says? Flip over there for a second. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's a very appropriate verse for today. This is where, where we kind of 
camp out when it comes to doctrine of discipleship. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Now, this is the same guy that was talking over in Acts 20, Paul writing. And, and, and realize this, I'm saying that, but it's, it's God that's writing with the pencil of Paul. Okay, understand that. Even kind of sounds like him, right? And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. Because I've done everything open. Today they would say, I was transparent. Right? But look at verse 3. Christian, very appropriate on this day. Veterans Day. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Realize this, guys. When you got saved, you also got enlisted. You got enlisted in the Lord's army. So the question is, not am I a soldier of Jesus Christ? The question is, am I a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I enduring hardness? You know how you learn to endure hardness? Anybody? Say it again louder. Okay, but how do you learn to endure? You go through it. Hardness. Hardness. I got two witnesses back there that are Marines that are Marines like me. You know how you, how they you know why Marines are Marines and everybody Say Marines, it's like, woohoo, Mustafa. Say it again, right? Yeah, Marines. You know why? Because they put you through as much hardship as they possibly can without killing you most of the time, right? So that you can learn without actually having to do it the best that you can. Because there's nothing, nothing to prepare you. Or when you actually hit real combat, real battle. There's nothing. But you train and you do everything to try to embed a mindset. Because, you know, it's like anything. Learning, you know, okay, let me learn all these moves and all this kind of stuff at martial arts school. And, and then you know what happens? Then you go out and somebody punches you right in the mouth. And your whole paradigm changes. It's no longer technique. <laughs> now it's real life. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing that can compare to getting hit in the mouth. To actually not only be putting bullets down range, but having them come at you. Your world is never the same again after that. Amen? You know why a lot of times in Christianity... All fun and everything's good, but there's no real ministry because they're not really engaging in real battle. <laughs> they're playing church. It's all fun. It's all good. Man, there's a church when I was in uh, in Arizona. <clears throat> we lived in Phoenix, ministered there for 15 years. They have a slew 
of mega churches. I think there's like 17 to 22 of them. I don't know, there's a bunch. We've got five million, almost 5 million people there. Okay, that's a lot. When I was in the Marine Corps, there was only about 350,000 people in the Phoenix Valley area. Now, you can get that in about two square miles. Literally. It's crazy. Now it's packed. And they got all kinds of churches. Huge churches. That have, there's no lie, movie theaters, ice rinks, theaters, like stage plays and everything. And you know, I got nothing against any of those things. That's good. Athletic fields. I, I was at a church we had some of that. But man, when your service every Sunday gives 20 minutes for this and 45 minutes of worship, which means we got a band and we're, got, we're playing rock. And you know what? I, no problem. Great. Some of that is fantastic music. I love it. But they do all these things and then only give five to ten minutes to quote-unquote preaching. Which may or may not include opening the Bible. Because it doesn't always. It's about, okay, let's have a talk. Let me have a talk. Remember that? It was always the thing. And they said, oh, are you going to give the talk today? Wasn't it, hey, are you going to bring the message? Are you going to preach? Are you going to teach? Are you going to do the talk today? Boy. I think we're all going to talk today, aren't we? Hopefully. I mean, you know, in my world, yes, of course I'm going to talk, okay? It's just a different mindset. And so then they just talk about stuff, but there's no Bible open. It's not about God. It's about being good Christians, being spiritual, but not anything about being biblical and what's the truth. And they have literally tens of thousands of people, and they are having a great time. Man, if they were in a real battle, they would all soil themselves spiritually. There's only one way, and that is you got to get in the fight. You're either in the fight or you're a spectator. Now, there are support people. Praise the Lord. You can't do much without support people, but that's a part of the fight. That's a part of the whole campaign. We all love to watch Patrick Mahomes sling the ball around, right? Is there anybody here that can do that like him? Apparently not because there's nobody who can do that like him even in the NFL apparently. Okay. We all like to be spectators. But we're not down there on the field doing it. You got to put into work to be able to do that. For us, for you and I, as a Christian, we are supposed to be Disciples. We're supposed to be faithful with the word of God to give it to others, living it house to house, publicly, the whole nine yards. And if we're not discipling, then what are you doing? My question if you've now if you're new here or you've just recently been discipled or you haven't been discipled, I'm not talking to you, okay? But if you've been saved, for a while, you've been discipled for a while. What are you doing with what was given to you? 
You know, there's, remember the story of the, it, it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the good man in the house, he leaves on a long journey. He gives this guy 10 pounds, and this guy 5 pounds, and this guy 1 pound. Why didn't he just give them all 5 pounds? Or, well, because he gave this guy 10 pounds because he knew he could trust him with 10 pounds. This guy 5 pounds because he knew he could trust him with 5 pounds. He gave this guy one pound because he knew he couldn't really hardly trust him, but he wanted to give him an opportunity. These two went out and did something with it. And when he came back, it says they were able to show a return on that. They, they had gone out and done the work, and now there was more than that. But this guy with only one pound, he had hid it in the earth, right? Why would you hide that? Well, because I knew that you were spirit, and, you know, I wanted to make sure nothing happened to that pound, so I made sure I put it in there and, and, and hid it in the earth. You know, I, I kept it there so it, nobody would get it. But no, you're the one that don't, doesn't get it. <laughs> God gives us these things so that we can go and invest it in other people with, with a thankful heart, serving the Lord with humility of mind, saying, hey, no genius, but let me just show you what the Bible says. Let me let me tell you how God worked that out in my life. Let me tell you what God did for me. Let me show you every week, day to day, how that looks. You know, how, how many of you are the older brother or sister? Or one of the older brother or sister, right? And mom and dad always said, hey, watch out what you're doing because your brothers and sisters are watching, right? And who was responsible for your brothers and sisters, right? Yeah, I'm the oldest too, of five. Oh, and if something went wrong, no matter who actually did it, whose fault is it? Yeah, ours, right? Guess what, though? We are all brothers. If you're saved, we're all brothers and sisters, right? Would you just leave your brothers and sisters to play in the street with cars coming? wouldn't would you now if I if I'm not going to do that and, and I'm going to train like I did in the Marine Corps so that I, I don't just walk guys into a minefield and teach them how to watch out for booby traps and stuff like that why wouldn't I do that with something that is eternal the consequences are eternal instead of just hiding it in the earth and oh, I just don't want to lose this you got the Holy Spirit of God inside you. You can't lose it, okay? It's not yours to lose, that salvation. The question is, what are you doing with it? Because guess what? You know what else you got when you got saved? You got an inheritance. Did you know that? You got an inheritance. Now, the question isn't, oh, did I get nothing? The question is, what are you doing with that inheritance? Are you investing it? Are you using it to build and to improve and to help? Hoarding it. I might need it sometime. Your Heavenly Father's not able to provide for your need? Well, yeah, but I don't know what's coming. Did you know what was coming when he died on the cross for you and made provision for your sin 2,000 years ago? Anybody here, did you know that 2,000 years ago? Oh, but he still made provision for you, didn't he? So if he could do that, why are you questioning him on everything else? That's, that's the biggest thing. 
So don't question. If you trusted him there, well, trust him with all of it. And, and give him, you don't have to know everything in the world. You don't have to know everything in the Bible. You just need to be willing to share with your brother and sister what you do know. Hey, here's how dad thinks. Here's what he expects when he says that. This is it. Let me show you right here in the instructions. Let, let, let me show you personally. Come on, you, you don't have to do it alone. I'll do it with you here. Let me, show, let me help you. Now, if you'll do that with your real brothers and sisters, your friends, your neighbors, why won't you do it with the most precious thing in the world? Amen? Now, come back to Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, we've got about 10 minutes, and I spent most of it there. You know, I could spend all night and more on each of these. Go to a million different verses. And we've talked about a lot of them. We've gone to a few. But I want to talk to you about these things. And if you have questions, then we can go and search those things out. But only if it matters to you. Look at verse 21. After he talks about worship in verse 19. And then after he talks about discipleship in verse 20. He ends this section the period in verse 21 where he says testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ now what is that we talked about worship discipleship what's that yeah come on now okay being a witness or we would say evangelism sharing the gospel right that's okay what's what what's the first word in that sentence or in that verse what is it? Testifying. What is that? That's speaking out. That's testifying, giving a testimony of what happened. It's, it's the witness. You know, that's why the officers come around and say, did you see what happened? Okay, let me, let me get your, let, let me have you write that down. You know what that's called? That's called a testimony that you're writing. You're testifying about what you saw or about what happened to you, right? Here, he's saying, hey, I did this thing from the get-go, testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks. You know what I love about this? He says, look, he doesn't point back and say, I, I testified to the Jews and the Greeks about the Jewish religion and how important it is, and it's the only one, Right? He says, testifying to uh, the Jews and, and to the Greeks, repentance toward a religious system, a way of doing things. Is that what he said? Repentance toward God. Because repentance towards anything else, well, I want to have a better disciplined life. I want to have a healthier life. I want to, you know, I want to, my body's a temple. I want to take care of it. You know how many, I have heard more lost people say that than saved people. Well, you know, your body's a temple. You really ought to take care of it. But you didn't believe the Bible, but you're quoting the Bible, you know. Okay. Repentance towards God, not towards your pastor, your spouse, your parents, your friends. Repentance towards God. You know why? Because he's the one that we have to repent to. 
right? He's not teaching them a religion. He's not teaching them a way. He taught them about God the Father. Hey, yeah, here, here's what Dad is all about. This is how he thinks. But here's what he taught me. And here's how that works. And what's really cool about that is that's not the part about discipleship. That's the part about testifying. He's doing that publicly also and house to house, wherever he is. He is testifying. You know what I love about that? To both the Jews and the Greeks. Today, I mean, literally today, we might be saying testifying to both the Republicans and the Democrats. Well, the Democrats, you know, they're godless. They can't remember. Oh, so you're just going to you know, just push them off the edge of hell. There you go. Really? Is that what God did for you and me? No. Well, I don't like the way they think. Well, I don't necessarily, but I don't like the way the Republicans. Here's the point, right? None of them thinking like this. And this is what they need to hear. They don't need to hear about which party is going to do best for them. I got news for you. Neither party is going to do what's best for them eternally. They're both in it for themselves party-wise. But God is in it for you. You personally, you specifically, you who were on his mind on the cross, every single one of us, testifying to everybody, whether I like them or not, whether they like me or not. Well, you know, they're just, they're never going to, they're, they're a mess. Well, then that means they need even more, right? Now, I don't think anybody needs it more than that. I think everybody needs it. That's what the Bible says. But that logic doesn't work, because if that was true, well, then they would be the ones you should be going to. And the, and the fact of the matter is, we should be testifying to everybody within our sphere of influence. So I don't influence anybody. Yes, you do. You might not think you do, or you want to hide and say, oh, well, nobody cares about what I have to say. Because now I don't have to actually say anything. <laughs> well, that's, you're hiding. <laughs> Trying to stir up a fight here, but that's kind of a cowardly thing. It's definitely not a good steward thing. A good servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not serving the Lord with humility of mind. That's serving the Lord well, I'm not because I'm not going to say anything because they'll probably make fun of me again. Or they don't listen to me anyway. You know what's interesting about the Word of God? It never tells you to make people believe anything. You and I are supposed to be living it. When I was a young Christian, man, and when somebody to Christ, I'd say, hey, I want this person to Christ. No, I didn't. I told them about him. But God, Jesus Christ, saved them, not me, not you. If I saved them, they're in trouble. If you saved them, they're in trouble. But if I show them what the Word of God said, and show them, hey, here's, here's what it's all about. Here's how you do it. Walk them through the Romans road or through the gospel train or whatever the case may be and say, hey, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, man, if you believe in your heart and confess to your mouth, you know, that God raised you from the dead because you know you're sinner. 
all sin and come short of God. I, I know. Yeah, have you noticed that nobody's a sinner nowadays when you talk to them? Man, when I was young, before I ever met Lisa, and I'm, we used to do these campaigns literally door to door, knocking on doors. We'd go to different towns and even, and we would see people get saved by the hundreds. You know why? Because they all understood they were a sinner. I talked to a guy once, it's been a few years ago, it was in Arizona. Guy just got out of prison for murder. <laughs> but he's not a sinner. <laughs> like, what? Well, I never killed anybody or did anything. Yeah, I know. We always say that. Well, I never killed anybody. Really? Then why did Jesus have to die for you? You know, it's like the universal excuse. Well, I never killed anybody. Yes, I have. Every single one of us is guilty. Nailing him to that tree. And yet he died for us and went there. And we have him now. And so now we're just going to be like that bad steward and just hide him in here. We'll be secret agent Christian and they, they probably deserve to go anyway. Really? We all deserve to go. My job is to live right and watch for that open door when they ask something. And then my words have the canvas of my life. Tells them, hey, I don't know if I believe that, but my life was like that every time there's a problem or something goes wrong in their life they're so happy they're so good and somehow think, you know, some people have a charm life man they do everything they make tons of money they're big houses three or four fifty thousand dollar trucks I don't know how they do it you get charmed sometimes you talk to people that have a charm life and next thing you know they are blubbering and just breaking down because it's everything they're trying to do. It's like like my old life. You know, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? So you know in here, those folks know after the first set or 20 of toys, no matter what, I got to get bigger and better. Otherwise, I don't feel very good about like I did when I first got it. You know what the cool thing is about salvation? felt really good about it when you got saved, right? Is there anybody here that doesn't feel better today than you did your day of salvation about the fact that you're saved? I feel better today than I did on that day. You know why? Because I only knew I was a sinner and I needed him and that it actually applied to me and that I thought I was a Christian and I wasn't. That was shocking. Today, I appreciate that so much more. You know why? Because I have a relationship with him hopefully you have a relationship with him and it is sweeter today you know 40 years here in a couple weeks lisa and i you know what i love her more today than i did then and i was you know you remember how it was when you were young and some of you are still young but you know and you're just that's right you're like oh but i love her more today i'm not as gaga all the time about it 
but it's real here now. And not just because she's put up with me for 40 years. Oh, that's a big yay, right? But because we have a relationship that has grown. Fears and temptations, probably, yes. But that's what makes us stronger, right? You get stronger by tearing your muscles. That's what you're doing when you're exercising. They tear and then they build together stronger. That's what marriage is. That's what your relationship with the Lord is. You're going to make mistakes. But you know what? Live honestly before folks. Let them see that God is real. Testify. You know, it's cool about this. If you do that, number one, that's worshiping, right? You're testifying, and now somebody gets saved. Now you have somebody to disciple. Well, I don't know how to disciple. Well, we can fix that. That's an easy fix. The biggest thing is, Tell them what God did for you. Amen? That's what that whole thing is about. Hey, church, he says, in the midst of all this, you're not going to see me. Remember we talked about this last week. You're not going to see my face anymore, okay? I'm going on Jerusalem. I don't know exactly what's going to happen except for I know I'm going to be in bonds. God has told me that. But remember this. Here's the important stuff. Worship him, disciple the believers, and testify Repentance towards God every minute of your life, no matter where you are. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we praise and thank you so much.